0: Hi, I'm Mariel from Brooklyn, New York. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like you and like me. And if you'd like to donate to support the show, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate.
1: Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org.
0: Radio Sweetheart, on the
1: the sound of young america i'm jesse thorne america's radio sweetheart my guest on the program is john reese he's a documentary film director a music video director of long standing among his works are the uh, seminal film on rave culture called better living through circuitry his most recent film is called vomit uh, it's about street graffiti not only here in the united states but also all over the world john welcome to the show thank you very much it's a pleasure to have you sir Thank you. It's been a
0: pleasure so far as well. Oh, good. <laughs> We're just getting started, John. <laughs> don't, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll give you a report at the end, too.
1: Okay, good. I, you know, usually I like to hand out a form that you can fill out anonymously, how did I perform? Or I also have, you might see behind me the plaque with the 1-800 number, how's my interviewing? <laughs> Um, In the little code that you can call in. All right, good. I mean, the first obvious question is, why did you want to make a film about graffiti?
0: It didn't start right away, frankly. Um, I wanted to make a film about graffiti like around the eighth to tenth hour of interviewing when um, the whole notion of the battle over public space and who controls public space became apparent is one of the key issues in graffiti culture. And whether kids who are out bombing at 14 years old and just writing their name realize it or not, that's what they're involved in. And I've actually had in screenings, kids say, so you really... you think this is about the battle over public space? Cause I don't really think I'm doing that. And I say, well, you are, whether you know it or not. And most are most, you know, most writers are somewhat conscious of that, but there's plenty that aren't, but it still boils down to that. There is this battle going all over the world, going on all over the world. And that's what kind of hooked me because frankly, if it wasn't about that, I probably wouldn't have spent four years of my life working on this film.
1: I think the world of graffiti documentation is uh dominated by a sort of a, a definitive film not just of graffiti but in some ways of hip hop culture generally which is style wars mm-hmm. a movie that uh was made in the at the very beginning of the 1980s which was in a lot of ways the very beginning of uh graffiti at least as a uh is a major cultural force. And since then, there have been certainly many films made uh, by graffiti
0: writers for graffiti writers who, you like know... into the hundreds and thousands.
1: You know, movies of, you know, there's... I I had a friend in high school who used to just watch movies of,
0: like, trains going by for we hours it, on end. We call it graffiti porn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and Because then, it's like it has the same qualities of porn. It's like... You sit there and you're, you know, it's like usually bad production values. I don't want to, you know, diss anyone, but you know, people aren't really putting a lot of effort into these things, and it's like, you know, endless shots of the same thing, very little editing, no dialogue or story or narrative construction or anything like that. And and it's funny because Susan Farrell from uh, graffiti. Graffiti. which is one of the best and oldest graffiti sites um, online we were in portland i met her in portland and um we were both laughing cuz we both called it the same thing and i'd never heard anyone else <laughs> say you know graffiti porn you know
1: and then there's this other kind of documentation of graffiti culture which is you know like the you know special episode of 60 minutes which is oh look there's graffiti in art galleries and uh policeman hates graffiti right.
0: and so on and so forth so there are a few other there are like besides ours um, I would say there's Infamy, which is quite good, and that's all in the United States, and it kind of is a portrait of eight writers, and that never really got its due. That's a very well made film by Doug Pray, um, and then there's Star Wars, pretty much, you know, as far as documentaries, and that's in Us, and that's kind of it, you know. I don't mean to be egotistical. There's another. Um, Graffiti film that will come out in a little while called Next, which you know I think has is really beautiful too.
1: But. So, what were the issues that e, that you felt like you could explore or were exploring to your surprise that weren't in other films? What was it that people were? Do you think were? Well, were I was really surprised that
0: I'm the only person that we're the first people really to deal with the whole notion of advertising, um, and just the whole notion of public space, like the the battle over public space. There's a early kind of impressionistic film about graffiti in New York City that has no dialogue and you see the juxtapositions of the graffiti with early advertising. But other than that, and it's just like, it's so obvious to me that I'm surprised that, you know, people keep on, oh, I never thought of it this way. And it's just like, you know, so that's interesting. And then also no one really thinks of it in terms of like, who who constructs our environment? I mean, which is really interesting to me that, you know, that most people kind of accept the world as it is, you know you're born into this city or suburb, and here 's this structure of these buildings around you, and this is life you know, and maybe you can change your city, but you don't really unless you're an architect or a developer you're not changing the, the 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 face of the planet that you live in, but graffiti writers are they're taking that they're taking a can and they're going out and changing the face of the environment that they live in, and besides developers and corporations they're the Pretty much the only ones doing it, so um, but they get busted and thrown into jail, and whereas developers are given tax breaks, so you know that that kind of became very interesting to me. And then plus the notion of like you know I guess a lot of my work is about artists and subversive culture and what that means for people and why you know how people who have a certain thought process can't find a way in mainstream culture and need to find a way outside of mainstream culture. And the reason I'm probably obsessed with that is because that's kind of my story in a sense. I grew up in the suburbs and hated it and you know never really found a place until I found punk rock and realized that there's this whole community of people that are like me. And that was the same thing with industrial culture that I worked in and, and rave culture, same thing, and same thing with graffiti culture. you know. And so whenever I find a culture like that, that also thinks. You know I'm pretty fascinated let's talk a little bit about uh, about what writers get out of graffiti
1: writing and and what they want um, it, it feels like in in some ways your your film is uh is kind of a kaleidoscope of perspectives on that issue i mean you you started for example tell us a little bit about what you heard from. Uh, from the graffiti writers of the of the 1970s on the on the East Coast, the sort of uh, the sort of uh, forefathers of the movement and, and what what they were what they were trying to get out of. it Well, in they the
0: beginning, doing. I think a lot of it was well. I, I always like to say there's as many reasons for people doing graffiti as there are people doing graffiti. You know, um, but in the and you know since our film is kind of structured stylistically thematically historically and also in a sense motivationally like why people do it so that the very early instances was you know basically for fame you know and that's still the impulse of a lot of writers is to get up you know and to be known what's interesting is that it's an ironic is that they're like the a group of people who wants fame but wants anonymity it's like this kind of contradiction, which is also really fascinating within the culture, is that there's so many contradictions, just like writers like to write on property, but they don't want their own shit written on you know that's also a contradiction and um and in the early seventies, a lot of it was fame, but a lot of it was it was just a thing to do, you know it's like your friends did it, so you did it, so there's a lot of that the, don't forget these are teenagers, and when you see those photos of kids in the early seventies um in the late sixties, but mostly the early seventies and seventies doing it, they're like the 10 year olds in middle school, you know, and they're just like out there having a blast, you know? And, um, and then I would also say that they probably consciously don't think of this, but you know, when you think of, and this is also something that kind of like is a thread through all of my work and especially as part of better living through circuitry is that, modern industrial society doesn't have like a rite of passage, especially for young males. And most cultures until modern industrial society had that rite of passage, and it's usually ritualized within the culture, and we don't have that. And so like raves are one way of doing it, you know, rock clubs are another way of doing it. And graffiti is another way of doing it. Gangs are another way of doing it. You know, and essentially that, you know, the gang killing, the initiation gang killing is, you know, if you look at primitive culture, it's you know it's similar in a really awful way to going out and killing a bear you know in the woods you know and for and graffiti culture has a lot of that because it's like you're going out on an adventure almost every night or every night you can get out there you're not it's very dangerous there's a lot of risk involved and you're testing yourself against these limits and there's not very much provided for in our society to do that and, you know, that's why I always say it's like everyone's like there's a lot of reasons I think that contemporary enforcement won't work. Um, and the main reason is that it won't address all of these underlying issues. And until you provide kids an artistic outlet and until you provide kids like this way of testing themselves, proving themselves, until you find a way of, you know, allowing people to feel, you know, uh, proud of themselves, you know, until you provide all of that graffiti is gonna be around. It's also in a lot of ways for um, you know
1: adolescent uh, guys especially like a lot of hip-hop culture it's a way of asserting uh, asserting an identity that you have created rather than the one that
0: others have yes. created for you No definitely definitely. And that's like, if you look at primitive cultures again, and I don't mean primitive in a pejorative sense, I almost, you know, kind of celebrate that. That's a lot of, they go, when you go out on a vision quest, a lot of times you come back with another name, you know, that you choose yourself. And that's part of your passage into manhood is by your claiming your own, you know, your own identity that's separate from the identity that your parents gave you. So, and I I would say, so it's not part of just hip hop culture. It's a lot of like, look at punk rock culture. Everyone renamed themselves in these punk rock names, you know, industrial culture, same thing. It's like a lot of musical culture is that way by giving yourself... A different name and a different identity.
1: One of the organizing principles of your uh, film is is a kind of a trip around the world to gra- mm-hmm. graffiti culture all over the world. Uh, tell me about how the uh, contemporary writers in that same context, in the you know these eastern seaboard cities where that's still sort of the home of graffiti. Um, how they see things differently, or what different things you heard from them than what you heard from the people who were the uh, people who were there at the at the birth of graffiti.
0: Well, I think it's just there's a more sophisticated understanding of like because there's this 40 year history now. So and you know it's been through ups and downs of enforcement. There's been ups and downs of the commercialization of it. You know, so it depends on who you talk to. And, um, you know, younger kids are still so much in the thick of it. They often can't articulate what they're doing. And it's often the older writers and older by older, I mean, more older than 18 or 20 that are pretty articulate about, they've kind of thought about what they're doing. And one of the things I found interesting, and this is actually not in the film, is that, um, it took the, it's harder to get something out of, the younger writers, because they're so involved in the doing of it, and they haven't really paused to reflect. And what I found is that people, when they turn of legal age, when it turns into a felony for them, that they really go, wow, I could really screw up my life doing this. Do I want to continue? And many people stop, you know, and, and kind of understandably so, because the enforcement is so in, intense these days. And But the ones that continue better have a good reason, you know. And so they really think about it and come up with really, you know, interesting, you know, philosophies of why they do what they do. Um, so I would say that uh, that New York now is kind of like, you know, you know, I, I think a lot of cities are like this, but it's a very the scene is very thoughtful in a sense. And really, you have to really think about what you're doing, especially with the enforcement being so intense there.
1: Tell me about some perspectives on graffiti in that same context, that kind of why people do it um, that were different
0: or or maybe not what you expected to hear the one that I didn't expect to hear the most was in South Africa, which is where they consider graffiti like a luxury sport, you know, because, you know, are you going to, these are people who many times live in really impoverished conditions. And it's like, well, are you going to buy a book for school? Or are you going to eat that day? Or are you going to buy, spend money on a, on a spray can, you know? And, and, you know, it's kind of like, there's this, You know, kind of code in the New York scene of like, or even in the US scene, like, you're not a writer unless you steal your paint, kind of a thing. Well, that's kind of like a very cushy Western notion in the sense because, oh, well, you steal paint as a teenager, they're going to slap your hand. Well, in South Africa, you could end up in prison for five years for stealing a can of paint. So it's a completely different perspective down there. And so that I found pretty interesting and pretty refreshing and kind of like a dose of reality in a sense. And and then also the thing that was interesting in South Africa, which is why I'm so glad that we went down there because of all the different – like the work was – Started off kind of similarly, but is really branching out and finding its own kind of roots now. Um, but especially the kind of reasons why people did what they did, and kind of like and how they related to the world in terms of what they were doing was so was so different in a sense. And um, and what you don't really realize is that there's in what you don't know is that there's still there's still kind of de facto apartheid there, and it's economic now instead of political or legal apartheid. So you still have whites and coloreds and blacks. And in general, the blacks still live in the really horrifying townships where the conditions are terrible, although the government's really trying to do something about it, but they don't have enough resources. The coloreds are kind of like the middle class and were set up that way by the apartheid regime. And then the whites and the the coloreds are the ones that really embraced hip hop culture because they didn't really have a culture of their own. They didn't have African culture. They didn't have white culture from Europe. And so they really embraced hip hop cultures. And that's where most of the writers come out of. And that's, you know, all that was really completely unexpected and totally, totally fascinating and unlike anywhere else in the world.
1: It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is John Reese. He's the director of the new graffiti documentary, Bomb It! Street Art is Revolution. It's now available on DVD. We'll have more with John in just a minute on The Sound of Young America.
0: Production of the Sound of Young America is underwritten in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.
1: If you want a taste of the lighter side of maximumfun.org, try searching for Jordan Jesse Go in iTunes or visiting our blog and clicking on Jordan Jesse Go. It's an irreverent talk show for children of all ages, except for children. And it's absolutely free via podcast from MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is John Reese. He's the director of the new graffiti documentary, Bomb It! Street Art is Revolution. One of the things that uh, was amazing to me uh, was the... Um, just the aesthetic explorations, and just hearing people talk about it in, in each place uh, that you visited. What you hear is, um, you know, we we got a graffiti magazine, or we saw graffiti in a rap video, or whatever it was, and we wanted. At first, we wanted to do that, but then we wanted to make something that was our own. And mm-hmm. I was particularly struck, for example, by just the aesthetic qualities of uh, uh, of the pieces that you showed. Just really huge, enormous, uh, stunning pieces in Spain, mm-hmm. which were absolutely unlike any other graffiti that I had ever that I'd ever seen in my entire life. Or you have, for example, a, a, I, I think it's a Dutch writer talking about how uh, in in the Netherlands or it might have been Holland or something that that graffiti is uh, graffiti is uh, is almost uh, approaches a kind of type as a typography challenge, like, right? the the lettering is what it becomes all about
0: well i think for that's a little bit um unfair in the film actually i'll just is that a lot of writers feel like they're typographers. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But I think that there's a certain design component in Dutch history that he's kind of tapping into and kind of embracing more. And in Barcelona, yeah, it's like this stuff. And what's ironic is that that's the country, that's the city where graffiti has been most legal. And so in a sense, they were able to develop skills of painting on the street. Like they could just paint for three hours In broad daylight, in like downtown, like the highest tourist track, it actually is in, if you look in Fromers or Foders, it's actually the graffiti in the Gothic section of Barcelona is actually a tourist attraction, you know, and so they were able to paint there. Um, That's changing now, unfortunately, and so there's more tags and more throw-ups going on in, in Barcelona And Sao Paulo is kind of the same, you know, in a sense that there's, but that's different because there's a whole um, Pichador culture, which is different than the graffiti culture. And it's kind of like taggers versus, and they consider graffiti down there beautiful murals. Like there's a whole in Latin culture, You know, in all of like, and one of the places I really want to get to is Mexico City, but in Latin America, Mexico, and Spain, there's a whole mural tradition, which is quite different than the graffiti tradition, the traditional graffiti tradition. So they're coming out of it from a whole different perspective, which is, you know, pretty refreshing. One of the things
1: that happens in that's easy to see in this kind of movie is. You can you show people who are just the most absolutely spectacularly skilled piecers in the world, um, people whose whose skill as a painter and as a writer is just stunning, and are and are making pieces that are just spectacularly beautiful. Um, one of the films that your one of the things that your film tries to engage <sighs> is the fact that different kinds of graffiti writing have very different impacts on people. I mean, you actually have a guy in the film um, who, you know, uh, maybe comes off as a bit nuts, but um, uh, who basically just says, you know, graffiti is the difference between a working class neighborhood and a slum. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, my, my first reaction was, well, this guy comes off kind of like a nut. But, uh, my second reaction was, you know, like I, I, you know, I grew up in an inner city neighborhood where people, uh, people did tags and throw ups on my, my house, you know, I didn't own it, but, uh, the house where I lived all the time. And, you know, we always had to be painting over people's throw up on our, on our house or, you know, just down the block here from where we are now, you know, there's. Tons of gang graffiti. <laughs> you right. know what I mean. So, uh, how did you hear? How did you hear people who had invested their lives in, um, invested their lives in the world of graffiti and in you know developing these amazing skills, reconciling that conflict between somebody who you know wants to make the most beautiful, spectacular full wall mural they possibly can. And somebody who you know just wants to cut their name into as many uh, subway windows as possible or even cut their gang's name into as many subway windows as possible. Well, the gang
0: possible. stuff I'm going to actually separate because that's a little different. And there's no, in general, in modern gang graffiti, there isn't a striving for artistry, at least from what I've seen or heard from other people, and that's a little different.
1: And so it's in, I should mention that you actually address in your film the uh, the conflicts between gang graffiti and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know traditional graffiti crew And most
0: people don't realize that, especially the modern, the mainstream media, that confuses gang graffiti with graffiti and all graffiti being the same, um, that, you know, there's a lot of gang members or a lot of gangs are trying to kill graffiti writers. You know, they don't see that there's a difference there. But, you know, in a sense, tagging is the, you know, the basis of all graffiti in a sense. And it's where you start and where you you have to start somewhere and you have to build your skills from doing a tag. So, you know, I'm not really, you know... uh, I find like a lot of scratchy pretty un- aesthetic, not really in favor of it. Although by the same token, when I started doing the documentary, we weren't going to do tags at all. We were only going to do beautiful pieces. And then, you know, two years later, I realized what an idiotic idea that is because their tags are as much a part of the culture as the beautiful pieces. And actually aesthetically now, I appreciate like a good drippy tag with nice hand style almost better than pieces that have taken two days to do because there's that energy um, is within that tag, whereas kind of the life often gets sucked out of like a piece that's taken a number of days to do and like everything's made perfect, et cetera. So, um, you know, so, you know, I think part of it is, is that, you know, and then when you realize that, you realize that it's a, it is actually an issue of aesthetics, You know, that and who's to judge. I mean, you know, the impressionists when they came around were reviled and now, you know, Van Gogh's Gogh's work is selling for $40 million. You know, it's like kind of crazy in a sense, you know, that judging aesthetics gets to be a little dicey in a sense. What you can judge in a sense is whether you're violating people's personal space and there is... There used to be, and there is, and what we try to display in the film or talk about in the film, is that there can be you can have a code as far as what you're going to write on and what you're not going to write on, in a sense. And like people's personal private property, we try to point out in the film, it's pretty uncool and why do it, in a sense. And schools and churches and there's plenty of places, there's plenty of, like in Los Angeles, there's plenty of strip malls that are totally <laughs> but ugly that are just asking for something, you know. And K- uh,
1: KRS-One makes a pretty vociferous argument. Uh, K- K- I don't think KRS-One makes any other kind of argument. <laughs> Uh, makes a pretty uh, a vociferous argument that if it's uh, that if it's a that if it's public property, it's it's fair game essentially.
0: Right, and I would actually um, I would exclude some of the public property. I would think that you know the stuff the public property that's kind of like where there has been attempted artistry in a sense. You know why you know there's so much ugliness in public space that if there's a quote from neon that I'm not almost not even sure is in the main body of the film anymore but it is in the extra features and that is that you know if if you know if something if someone's trying to fill the vacuum you know, with beauty, which is what he considers graffiti writers doing. But if someone else is trying to do it with a piece of architecture, a piece, piece of art, recognize that that person is a compatriot and leave their work alone. You know, there's plenty of ugly stuff to tag, you know? And so, you know, if there is some semblance of artistry to it or if it's personal private property, you know, there's so many other things to tag that are ugly, you know, go after that stuff. And um, so I, but on the other hand, I would say that when, a building owner, like a business building owner, puts advertising on their building. Then that wall, in a sense, becomes fair game as well.
1: You mentioned uh, at, at the offset that the the issue that came to the fore for you was who controls public space, and particularly that issue with regards to advertising. Mm-hmm. I think you have uh, a really eloquent voice on this subject in the form of uh Shepherd Fairy who mm-hmm. people probably know as the creator of Obey Giant the uh, uh the Andre the Giant has a posse stickers and uh now the uh now the clothing line of the same name Um, Tell me about what you heard from people, you know, particularly somebody like Shepard Ferry, who has taken the idea, you know, he, he started this Obey giant as essentially as a nonsense brand, where the idea was to create a brand that subverted the idea of branding. And it has since transformed it into a brand brand <laughs> um, so tell me about uh tell me about how how you found uh how you found writers navigating those waters of um you know of advertising and commercial space and uh, uh and graffiti as a as a purely non commercial art um
0: very delicately. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's a tough road to tread, and um, because you have people who you know aren't making any money and are sacrificing a lot, and um, you know, want to, you know, I think have a desire to make money from their art, you know, to survive, you know, as Osemio says in the film, it's like, look, you know, we don't want to have a day job. And if you can make money from your art, you know, what better thing is that? And I kind of agree with that, Um, you know, and, but they're very careful about who they work with. If you look at their Nike billboards, basically it's a piece of art and there's a tiny little swoosh at the bottom. That's not even part of the painting. It's like on the billboard itself. So in a sense, is that terrible to bring art to the masses in a more legitimate public way? Um, possibly not, you know, and um, but then it comes to the point where, you know, you have, you know, um, some writers that are, you know, I don't really fault anyone in the sense for using their art to create a living if they've kind of like come out of the culture in a sense. Um, I think what's problematic, I think that's better than like an advertising agency using a kid out of school who has no experience in graffiti and saying, oh, we want to do a graffiti logo. Can you do a graffiti logo? So I think that's where it becomes, I think it's not a black and white kind of issue. I think there's a gray area. And I think especially as enforcement increases and people need to find opportunities to do their art, the more commercial opportunities that are available for graffiti writers, the better. You know, and so, and I think it's great that Shepard Ferry has kind of led the way. And I think a lot of writers should be thankful to him and Osemios and Banksy for pav- paving the way um, for their work to become more recognized. You know, and I think there's some people out there who are just pure vandals and they think of themselves as that and don't care. And, you know, and that's fine to, for them to have that ad- attitude. But there's more people out there who, you know want to find a way to make a living that isn't necessarily part of col- corporate culture and can find a way to make a way for themselves that isn't you know the typically prescribed you know path and i think graffiti is a path that you can do that with it's just a matter you have to be pretty smart about it you know and not be dumb
1: you describe that kind of web of contradictions that is graffiti culture
0: um and that what we you... just discussed would be one of those yeah, contradictions
1: exactly and uh and there's all these issues raised in the film did you come out of this process of making the film with with any convictions about how uh how society uh
0: or how government should should deal with uh, graffiti um yeah I have some pretty strong convictions about it, and actually, I'm. Um, I submitted. I was asked by the New York Times to do an op-ed about this, in fact, and you know, I think there should be, you know, some tolerance for some recognition that this is going to be part of human culture, you know, and do you want to criminalize kids? And do you want to start them on a path of, you know, being in jail? I mean, I think the jails are crowded enough. You know, these are kids, you know, that have some kind of drive, some kind of interest in the human, in language, you know, in letter structure and art, whether they know it or not. And I think there's a way to channel that in more productive ways than, um, than what the enforcement Allows and I think there's more of a recognition of that in the school systems and if there was more money, you know, in the school systems Um, and maybe if Brock becomes our president, is you know, (laughs) you know, there's going to be because he speaks about it a lot, you know, that school shouldn't just be learning ABCs and rote. It should be exploring, you know, what you can fully become, your full potential. Um, and, um, you know, I think it, there's a multifaceted answer to that. And I think the easiest thing is to try to support kids in schools a little bit more and to support the the art of it a little bit more in cultural centers and free walls and have a little bit more of a tolerant attitude towards it than the current prevailing attitude, which is all graffiti is bad graffiti. You know and if you persist in that, you're basically gonna end up with more tags and more throw ups and less art. you know
1: Well John, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Sandy Young America. Oh
0: well, thank you for having me.
1: John Reese's new film is Bomb It. It's uh, in theaters from time to time across America right now. It's also available on DVD everywhere, including uh, Netflix and your favorite l- local video store. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the film, you can visit Bombit Dash the movie. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's Radio Sweetheart, the show produced by Speaking into Microphones, our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself, interstitial music provided by Dan Wally. Our intern's name is Chris Bowman. My dog's name is Coco the Dog. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, and you can always send me an email at jesse at MaximumFun.org. We've got lots of cool stuff on the website, including our blog and our other programs like Jordan Jesse Go, which you should really give a listen to because it's really cool and great, in my opinion, although I have to admit that I'm the host of it. All that having been said, we'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America.